Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang, you know, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Bet Online has you covered all the news, scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. You head to the website, betonline.ag, or you use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Folks, glad you're back with us, and thank you so much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast. On this episode, undeniably, one of the greatest shortstops of his era, Boston legend Nomar Garciaparra. And Mark, I know you were teammates late in his career, but there was a time in the late 90s and early 2000s that bars were filled with fans who were arguing about who was better, Nomar, was it A-Rod, was it Jeter? Nomar was really that good. Yeah, I grew up in Boston, and you start thinking about the Nomads and all of the situations that you're thinking about what Nomar impacted for the fan base in Boston. Mike, a two-time AL batting champion. So many people talked about right-handed hitters, and they mentioned Joe DiMaggio in the same breath as Nomar Garciaparra. And it was interesting because his career paralleled with the great Derek Jeter. It's amazing. I can't wait to hear his stories because leaving Boston was really hard for Nomar. Nomar, 14 seasons in the big leagues. You were Rookie of the Year, six-time All-Star. It's a huge body of work and a bunch of great experiences. But if you had to boil it down to what you felt was your signature moment, what would that be? My first hit uh, would definitely, I know all big leaguers talk about their first hit. It's so memorable. but to me, it was really, really just something special. Not, not because I hit a home run. My first hit ended up being a home run. That wasn't what made it special. What made it special was, I think, the culmination as everybody thinks about their dream, but to finally get there. I think one thing is making it to the big leagues, but to be able to just get that hit in the big leagues. Uh, I did it in Oakland. Um, I grew up in Southern California. My parents family members that have always been there and supported me drove from LA all the way to Oakland to be there. Um, I remember, so I have an uncle who is four years older than I am. We grew up like brothers. He was like my older brother and we would always play in the backyard and we were always saying, well, one of us is going to make it. And, and, and then when it was kind of getting to that point where it looks like I was the one going to make it, he's like, you know, you're going to hit a home run your first at bat. You're going to hit a home run your first at bat in the big leagues. And I was like, oh, whatever. It wasn't my first at bat, but my first hit was a home run. He was there in Oakland. And I remember rounding second and thinking of him, thinking of what he told me as I'm rounding the bases. And it made me just kind of smile and then just crossing home plate. And there was a moment there where I was ready to, I sat in the dugout after doing that and I was going to grab my bat hand it to the manager, say thank you, and tell my go into the stands with my family says, oh, we, we can go home now. We can go home. <laughs> right. We did it. We did it. We can drive home. That was it. I, you know, all the work, all of uh, all everything we've done up until this point together as a family, uh, it's been accomplished. We can go home. And I'm glad I didn't do that. But at the same time, that's that was the feeling. I think that's why I say that's the most signature because I just think of you know, my mom, my dad, uh, like I said, my uncle, those times in the backyard, uh, my aunts and uncles who came up, my grandma, everybody who was there just were always at my game supporting me. 
yeah. And uh, it, it's, it was special and something you never forget. That first hit, that first home run, that's a couple of days after you got called to the big leagues. So you had an emotional time there, a window of time, I would imagine, probably a week, maybe more. You tell us. Uh, when you got the call in August of 96, 22 years old, what was that moment like? Who told you, and how did the conversation go? Uh, you know, after a AAA game, and the manager calls me in and says, hey, uh, you're going to be on a flight tomorrow to Oakland. You're getting called up. And I was just like, whoa, you know. And another thing that crossed my mind, which is really strange, that was one of the best teams I think I've ever been on was that AAA club. I mean, I think we, we, were, we would be on like ESPN and highlights. We were breaking records. I mean, we were so good. It was, and, but, but just, it was fun. And I remember just prior to me getting called up, we were going on, we were going to go on a road trip and we were about to start the playoffs as well, going into the postseason. And I remember the, the owner of the club was like, listen, you guys need to throw a team party. And he was, <laughs> he was giving money for our team party that we were going to throw on the road. And I was going, this is great. I'm getting called up, but can I maybe wait after the team party or can I wait to the playoffs <laughs> after? Because I like these guys so much and wanted to finish the job. We were playing, we were so good. You wanted to experience that with them. And I was like, I know I'm going to get caught. You know, I know I'm feeling pretty good, uh, but obviously <laughs> that's not happening. But that's what I was thinking. Like, this is great, but maybe I can wait. And then, then as I left the ballpark, I was... Uh, I actually was staying between Boston and Pawtucket. I had a flat an apartment, which so it was about a half hour away from Pawtucket. And I remember just driving home. I remember calling my parents, telling them, you're not going to believe this. This is awesome. I'm getting called up. But I remember driving so slow, so carefully, because I'm like, nothing has to happen to me on my way home. I, it can't. This is the dream. This is, I can't, you know, so you're, all that's going through your mind. I think it was, I mean, you know, probably the first time I just drove the speed limit the whole way. Home. <laughs> this is you're kind of thinking, you know, uh, to make sure. And then the next morning, you know, you can't sleep. You wake up early. You don't want to miss your flight. You have all this anxiety. You can't. Uh, so those were the emotions. And then last landing in Oakland and then seeing when I get to the field super early, then my, my talking to my parents are like, we're, we're here early too. They were there as early as I was and then no gate was open. You know, the people were nice enough to let my parents in and let me in and figure it out all on your own. So yeah, there's a lot of emotion. You, you don't, you realize afterwards how, after it's all done, or maybe after that series is done, how exhausted you are because you didn't get any rest uh, coming up to that point. You know what, Nomar, I think uh, it's fascinating that so many people remember little details of that special day. Walking into that locker room for the first time and seeing your your uniform hung up in your locker, what was that moment like for you? Mm. You know, I think, you know, what's the movie? Is it movie? Is it The Rookie? Yeah. When uh, <laughs> Dennis Quay, when he gets called up to Tampa in Texas and he sees, you know, the names Conseco and all. Uh, they did, did a good job of kind of depicting of kind of what that, what it feels like. And that, it because it does feel like that. You're like looking, you're like, wait a minute, there's Conseco's jersey. <laughs> there's all of these guys. There's uh, there's Mo Vaughn, who, you know, I was fortunate enough to even know when I was in the minors, he was already starting to take me under his wing then. Um, and then uh, 
guys that I also knew who were so good to me too, like Aaron Seeley in the big leagues and like, Hey, welcome. And so it's, it's a pretty surreal moment. You're just kind of like, okay, where do I go? Make sure you're not in anybody's way. Uh, let me, uh, let me still be careful. Make sure nothing happens to me as uh, the game's about to start, but it's, it's, it's every emotion. It's a dream. And it's, it just, it builds up all into one. You think you're ready for it. You think you, you, you dream about it and you think how you're going to handle it, but it's nothing like you ever think of it, it, There's more emotion. It's like, it's like having your first child. When you have your child, you think, you know, you think you're going to be ready. But when you feel, see that child, you're like, whoa, this is, uh, this is a whole nother level. I think uh, some things can be overwhelming at first. I mean, the realization of you're at the, the pinnacle, right? That you've worked so hard to get to, but you need help. And, and you mentioned Mo Vaughn, you mentioned Aaron Seeley, which I think is fascinating. Uh, a mentorship or someone that took them, took you under their wing. Uh, did Mo Vaughn stick out the most or who was that for you? Yeah. Mo Vaughn hands down was uh, the most. He like I said, I knew him. Well, when I was in the minors coming up through Boston, like I would do his camp in the off season. So there he would start talking to me then, hey, come over here. And then when I was in the big leagues, and look, there were other veterans who actually, that helped me besides Mo, uh, you know, Tim Naring, uh, Jeff Fry, uh, John Valentin, who I took his position at shortstop, but was so classy and was like, here, let's talk about this position. Let me, let me tell you what you're supposed to do, how you do it. So he was so helpful. But it was Mo who would always like, all right, come here. His big old Paul put around my shoulder. Um, he taught me what it means to hit in a lineup, you know, what it means to be a professional. He also led by example. He's an unbelievable guy in the clubhouse, what he does outside of the clubhouse as well. Um, but he would teach me so much about the game, especially on the offensive side, understanding, okay, now you're batting third. You're hitting, you're hitting in front of me. This is what you're supposed to do. All right, we flip-flop. I'm third, you're fourth. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's your job. Here's what you're supposed to be thinking. Gosh, he he was he was amazing. And no more. Before we dive into that fabulous rookie year, uh, the full season in '97, your rookie card because you've made such a point of emphasizing how important it was to share your big league moments with your family. You get that card, and Mark has said this, and many of the other guests on our show have said this. It it resonates with you in a way sometimes it's unexpected. What was it like for you? Wow. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously in that, in the uniform, you're going, well, this is pretty special. I got a, I got a baseball card, but I was actually fortunate enough to have one even before I got uh, to the big leagues and get a rookie card because uh, I played in the Olympics in 92 and tops made Olympic baseball cards. So I had a tops Olympic one. So I was like, holy smokes. I think that was the first one. I'm like, really? I'm on a baseball card. Here it is. You talk about it as a kid. Would I ever be in a, what would my first baseball card be like? So and mine was in a USA uniform. Are you kidding me? So that, that was kind of cool in and of itself. And then you see yours as a, uh, uh, as a professional and, and looking at that rookie card, it, you're going, huh, this is, uh, it's starting. And then now I honestly, it's, you get overwhelmed because you see so many, like, you know, you get some of the mail, fan mail and, and just over the years, and I have boxes full of just different ones. You're like, wow, they made that many different ones of me. Uh, this is crazy. Uh, but honestly, I'll tell you the craziest thing for me still to this day. And uh, 
I get emotional, but I also because of what it it is when I see somebody wearing a jersey with my name on their back. That still to me is it, and I still see it at ballparks now around like um, that. That is still surreal to me, and it, it's like, well, I can't believe a person is willing to spend their money to put my name on their back. Like that still kind of uh, uh, hits me every time I see it. Your impact on the game, I know you're certainly humble about it, but I don't think it can really be overstated because when you came on the scene, there were some big names in this game, big names on your own team, as you pointed out. And you're a guy who wanted to hit the first home run and leave the ballpark. So, who, right? as you had said, so let's go into that rookie season of 97. You take over, as you mentioned, for John Valentin, who graciously uh, kind of helps you along in that development. But your rookie season is absurd. You burst on the scene as a 23-year-old, and right away you lead the league in hits and triples. What do you remember about that rookie year and the fantasy ride it seemed to be from our view looking in? Um, I remember learning a lot. I remember <clears throat> embracing it where you don't, you don't think, that, you know, everybody goes, gosh, was there a lot of pressure? The pressure isn't climbing the mountain. The pressure is when you get to the top of it. I think there's a misconception there. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to be able to climb it and have guys like we just mentioned, Mo Vaughn, who can take the heat. He's the, he's the man at the scene. He's a superstar. He's the guy who was talking to the media all the time. He was the one who would take the pressure off other guys in the clubhouse. That's what I'm saying. He was, to me, I'm still like a little kid when I'm around him. I'm like, oh my God, sir, how are you doing? You know, when I, <laughs> when I get a chance to see him. But he took so much heat off everybody else. It was, it, and for myself that year as well. And, and just seeing the guys, they would call me super rook. Let's go super rook. Let's go. You know, they would tease me. Uh, they would put me through the different things as a rookie. And, and I was lucky enough to be, and I'm glad I was the guy that whatever you said, yes, sir. No, sir. You know, go get me coffee. Yes, sir. Uh, you're supposed to do this. Yes, sir. Um, so with these veterans to take me in and take me out to dinners, Hey, rook, would you like to join us for dinner? Yes, sir. What time do I have to be there? I remember those moments with those guys more than just what I was accomplishing, because I think it was that support system from the guys, the way they treated me, allowed me to flourish, allowed me to go out there and just be myself. You know, as a leadoff hitter, I was just, you know, Jimmy Williams going, don't change a thing because everybody would say, you know, they know I'm an aggressive hitter swing at the first pitch. He goes, no, he goes, don't change a thing. I'm not here to tell you now you got to see pitches or whatever. Be you. All right. I'm going to do that. You know, guys would even joke with me. You know, I'd come back, maybe I'd lead off, I hit a home run, you know, first pitch. And they're like, so what's he got? I go, something you could hit. Said, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, well, aren't you, you know, watching the side, figure it out yourself because apparently I figured it out. You know, what do I have to show you or tell you? Like, come on, you know, mess around <laughs> with guys. But that's, but I really think uh, when I look at that rookie season, it was really about those guys helping me along and teaching me along the way an awful lot. Uh, I really appreciated all the dinners. I mean, I'm a dude. I love wine. <laughs> Everybody mm -hmm. goes, how did you get into wine? I mean, I study it. I, yeah, I, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion, another episode. I really, really love it. And um, it's because of those veterans. It's because of those dinners. It's because of those times they took me out. It's because we were talking baseball. It's because they were willing to take the time to do that and invite me. And I was just so, I was like a sponge taking it all in. Those were really important moments. So when I think of that rookie year, I really do think of all the guys and my teammates who, who, who helped me along the way. 
Nomar, I, I love the fact that you mentioned the dinners because that goes unsaid sometimes that that's where you grow up. Um, veteran guys that take you under their wing that you mentioned, that's how you grow up in the game. But also, you have to respect the game, respect your teammates. And when you did that, you earn the respect back. And it sets a structure for the rest of your career. And I think sometimes these this day and age, we, it, it goes unnoticed because the, everyone thought that was almost like a, a punishment. It was far from a punishment. It was just basically setting a structure and respecting the game of baseball. So I love your take on that. I've always uh, thought the world of you, especially when we were teammates in Los Angeles, to be able to go through that through your lens. Um, it takes me to, obviously, the rookie year goes great. Now you start making your first All-Star game, but I'm going to jump past 1997, your first All-Star game, to 99 because it's in Boston. And why I mentioned this, Nomar, uh, I grew up in Boston. I understood the impact of what the All-Century team made and meant to so many people. But when Ted Williams came out of center field, I, I will never forget it. It's almost that feeling that you, you felt like you were part of it. Um, you were on the field. Take us through your lens in that moment, if you don't mind. Uh, well, obviously, it was, you know, when they announced all the greats and they're all lining up around the field. And then finally, Ted comes in in the golf cart. And, and then it was, it was kind of spontaneous where we all, everybody just started to go toward the middle of it. It wasn't, they, they didn't tell us, hey, when, when Ted comes out, I want, we all want you guys to gather around at the pitcher's mound. No, it was spontaneous. It was like, whoa, we were all there. This was our moment that we can all not only see him, but now kind of mingle with all the greats. It was like the present players mingling all as one. We are on, we are in, we're in our element. We're on the baseball field. And this is where we bought and, and it was like, there's nobody else. There's nobody else. This is it. And I'm just like in awe, like, whoa, I'm amongst these guys. But the, the, the strange thing is for me too, about Ted, uh, where many were going there and being more in awe, I was walking to a friend. That was the difference for me. I was lucky enough to get to know Ted all these years. Every year, I every year before spring training, I'd go to his house in Florida and we'd have whether it's lunch, breakfast, or anytime I was getting there, and we'd just chat. We'd talk throughout the season. He'd call me. Um, so I got to know Ted on a whole nother level. Um, we were friends. Uh, there were so many things that that we have in common and relate that people don't really know and probably why. Uh, we had such a cool bond, you know, he's from Southern California. Uh, people know he's Mexican, uh, he, experiencing Boston, everything. There were so many things that we could relate to. And we chatted more than just always about him. Yeah. We talked hitting, <laughs> don't get me wrong. We talked hitting, uh, for sure. But like, so knowing him and going to the friend and what's funny is I'm in that moment. Right. And Ted's asking, Hey, where's the kid? Where's the kid? He's looking for me. And I'm like, Ted, I'm right here. And he goes, ah, there you are. And you know what he says to me? He says, sorry, I missed your party. Wow. Because two days ago, like the day or the day before I was, I, it's because it's in our city. It's in Boston. I'm hosting all the people who help my foundation. I'm hosting all the people in, in Boston uh, that I know. So I threw this just kind of party there in Boston. And I invited him if he was in town, like Ted, love to have you here and stuff. And he obviously couldn't make it. So he's apologizing that he missed that <laughs> right there in the middle of that moment. Like, that's what I'm saying. I have a different, I, I got to experience that. My friend telling me, sorry, I missed your party. 
that's uh, that that's that's special, and I miss him. I miss him dearly. Um, to be another kind of mentor. I mean, in Boston, who did I have also bring me up aside from my play the players? Uh, but I have Ted Williams, who I get to know, and then and, and Johnny Pesky, Johnny Pesky, who. Wow. Uh, another one who would always be there and talk to me and, and uh, miss him uh, when he passed away. And then, gosh, I'll tell other greats, Jim Rice, Jim Rice, my hitting coach and looking at Jim Rice and the way he would. All right, son, you know, kind of like <laughs> the way he would call yeah. me, you know, and it was that's it's priceless. It really is. And now, you know, us talking about it and thinking about it, I'm like, wow, you just you realize how lucky you really are. Do you remember the best advice that Ted gave you? Man, that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you the first time I ever talked to Ted, this is, I think, what the coolest thing was. So I knew I was getting a call. There's a, I have, I have friends from high school over and I'm renting an, I'm renting an apartment. So there's, the, so there's the bedrooms are in each end of this apartment and the living space and kitchen in the middle. So I tell my friends after a game that are visiting me, and I said, hey, listen, tomorrow, I'm getting, don't pick up the phone. This was the time we don't have like really cell phones and stuff. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> That's how old we are, Sweeney. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, I go at around 11 a.m., the phone's going to ring. Don't pick it up. They're like, what? I go, it's going to be Ted Williams. And they're like, shut up, whatever. Right. <laughs> I said, all right. So 11 a.m. in my room, phone rings. And all of a sudden, I hear my friends go, holy, sh- it's him. <laughs> it's him. It's him. You know, and they're sprinting into my room and I'm picking up the phone. They're shaking me like, oh, my God, you're talking. I'm like, get out of here. Leave me alone. I'm hitting them, pushing them away. So now I start talking to Ted Williams, right? And so he is pounding me with questions. Hey, I'm watching you play. When you're in this situation, what are you thinking? You know, what pitch are you thinking when they're, they're trying to challenge you? What are they thinking? Uh, he's just going on and on. And I, nobody's ever asked me about hitting this. I'm like, oh, my God. So. In my head, I'm going, well, I'm not just going to say I don't know to Ted Williams. I, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to answer him uh, whatever I'm thinking, even if I'm wrong. I'm going to answer Ted Williams. So I'm telling him uh, I'm thinking this, sir. That's right. You know, and I'm thinking this, sir. That's right. So we talk. It, it might have been 30, 45 minutes. I mean, we talked for a while. I hang up the phone. Phone rings again. And it's the general manager, Dan Duquette. And he goes, man, he goes. I guess that your conversation with Ted went pretty well. I said, oh, man, it was unbelievable. He goes, why? He goes, well, he just said, he goes, you're the only person he's ever talked to that answered every one of his questions right. Awesome. And I was like, whoa. And so I was like, well, thank you. I said, thank you for setting that up. And I hung up and then I picked up the phone again and I called my dad and I said, hey, dad, yeah, you just got every one of Ted Williams questions right. I said, because that's the only way I answered. All I answered was what my dad taught me. You know, right. what I'm thinking is what my father taught me. This is what I'm thinking, because what he taught me, you know, I'm like, I'm going to spew this out. So I go, you got them all right. Just wanted to let you know. And, <laughs> to the and I hung up. so that was, yeah. So <laughs> best advice, that's, that's a, that's a, uh, I know that's probably not answering the question with the best advice he gave me. Um, it, it was probably just as best you can to try to block things out and go be you as best you can. Not easy, understanding also where we played, uh, but to, to, to do that as best you can. You know, it's interesting to me you say that because I had read that Ted Williams had compared you to Joe DiMaggio, and you had 
picked up a couple of batting titles in Boston, and we all know Ted Williams hitting 400. Did you ever wear that pressure and feel that heat to be that good to hit 400? What was that like in Boston? Wow. <laughs> uh, here's the. It's a funny story, um, and I end up telling this later on, and uh, at a at an event with, at, with Ted Williams uh, when they were celebrating like the 40th anniversary when he when he hit 400. Um, but it's getting toward the end of July, and I remember I I, I don't like I and media probably were like, gosh, what a jerk. Whenever they would come interview me, I said, listen, don't tell me my numbers. Don't tell me what I'm doing right. a lot, you know, and I'm in the media now and it's always like, hey, you're hitting so-so. It's like they have to announce that before when they're interviewing you. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't want to hear it. One, one, I didn't want to think about it. That's one. But two, the other thing too is every year at the end of the year, I really would hope I didn't know my average and didn't because I would sit with my father and we grab maybe a six pack of beer and we open it up and he goes, all right, let's talk. How do you think you, he goes, how do you feel you hit this year? It was, how did you feel? What do you think? So based on how I felt all season long, I wanted to come to, to the number and I wanted to see, and he wanted to see and how I wanted to see how close it was maybe to the actual number because the feeling meant more than the number itself. So I didn't want to see my numbers throughout the season. And so, so I'm getting to this pressure. So here I'm at the end of July and they're calling in a new pitcher. Um, I'm on deck and I kind of look up at the, at the scoreboard at Fenway to see who's being called in, what pitcher's coming in. And then they have like me coming up and then they have my average and it was 398. And I thought to myself, I had no idea. And I'm going, wow, 398. That's pretty good. Like in my head, I'm like, I'm doing all right. You know, and then July, and uh, and then a fan gets up. Hey, Nomar, three ninety eight. Let's effing go! Like, dead serious, like pissed off that I'm only hitting three ninety eight. Like, come on, let's go! And I just go, wow, like huh. you know. And, and in my head, I'm like, and I told the story at at the event, going, you know, I remember looking up and say, man, God, uh, why did you put me in a place like this, right? And then I said, I looked down and I looked up again and I said, Hey God, thank you for putting me in a place like this. This is great. You know? Um, but to feel the pressure, you know, it's talk like Ted was always calling me like, you're going to do it. I always say, I joke, uh, Ted jinxed me because he kept telling me you're going to do it. Damn it. You're going to do it. Uh, but he, uh, so he was always pulling for me. He was calling me along the way. Um, you know, it's, like those are the like talk about moments. We were talking about no, uh, no cell phones, and there was a, a phone in the middle of Fenway in our in our locker room. I, mean, I think it might have still been a rotary phone. That's how old Fenway Park is. <laughs> right. but, yeah. but I remember like that phone would ring. They're like, "No, Mar, here for you." And I'd go. You're, you're in your uniform. I grab the phone in the middle of the locker room, and yes, and it's Helen. Helen is the, the operator at. Fenway Park, who was their forever iconic person. And she goes, hey, Omar, your hitting coach is on the phone. And then I click over and it's Ted. And, you know, <laughs> looks like that, you know, before the game, I was like, hey, I watched you. You look great last night. Keep it going, you know, or whatever. And he would be talking to you. He called me. Here I am in the middle of the locker room. And I'm like, all right, guys probably don't know. Is everybody getting into the game? I'm like, I'm on the phone with Ted Williams right here in the middle of the locker room. Like that, 
that was uh, how it was. But um, the, the pressure to hit 400, to do that, um, like I said, it was my, my goal was to see how I felt all year round. It was really not about what the end number is like what this feeling that I'm on this, what I, they, what I expected of myself was I accomplishing that. It's funny. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure teammates didn't like me because gosh, I'd go one for three and I'd be pissed off. You know, I, we won, I'd be happy. But if you got, I was pissed off about my individual performance, I remember that year going, man, I should have at least two hits a day. Should have had three hits a day. Like I expected this of myself. I was feeling, I should have. And I remember calling my dad and going, man, I should have had two. What, how did I miss that one pitch? Or how did I, you know, we would talk about it every day, but that was just the feeling I had and, and thought, and I wanted to keep it as long as I could. Um, when I tell people now, uh, this game is hard, so hard. Um, I didn't hit better than everybody else that year. That, that's not how I won batting titles. Now I did that. I minimized my slumps better than everybody else that year. Mm. You're going to have them. Even when I'm hitting that well, I had slumps. I did not feel good. How quickly did I get rid of that and get the feeling that I was striving for every day? What did I do to get that feeling back? That was gone today, stunk. Tomorrow, what do I have to do? Oh, you know what? I got the feeling back. Okay, here it is. That's a challenge in this game. And I think it gets overlooked with players are really understanding what that really means um, is, is focus on that more than what the, the numbers of the numbers are going to be that. Um, I always joke now in today's numbers, um, when I hear this term expected batting average, you know, that, which cracks me up, but I go, you know what? I wish they had that when I played my expected batting average, I think was over 400. So people can call me Mr. 400. I need a shirt right. that says Mr. 400 <laughs> right. based on expecting today. It might be Mr. 400. It's great. Uh, so I joke about that, but, uh, that's pressure. You know, people talk about pressure a lot in environment. You feel it. Don't get me wrong. It's there. Uh, it'd be, uh, swing, you know, it's, us always saying uh, there's no pressure or we, you know, we have to keep up a straight face and we have to put that pressure there it exists. Uh, but I don't think there was any more pressure than you put on yourself. Uh, when you really like, even now to this day, people go, gosh, do you miss baseball? I say no. And then I remember I had teammates, man, I missed the competition. I said, well, that's funny because I compete. I still compete. I compete every day. My competition wasn't, that was my opposition. That was my, that wasn't my competition. That was my opposition. The competition I still do with my, I, I compete with myself every single day. That's what I'm competing with. So there was the compass. So that hasn't left. That's just what's in me. So that, that wasn't it. So that was, how I thought when I was playing, it was, what do I, what can I do? How can I do this be better? And what, and, and if I do that, <clears throat> I'm eventually helping my team. Nomar, uh, you know, dealing with pressures is always uh, the key to success. And I always fascinated on the elite players that did it. Uh, when you're in a Red Sox uniform, there's one task. There's one task to beat the Yankees. They're in your own division. Um, your career paralleled to one of the best that's ever played the game and Derek Jeter. What was it like for you? Was it a friendly competition or was it intense? Because I, I think it has uh, both sides. Obviously, you're in batting practice. You guys are going to have fun. But you competed at the highest level against a club that was very talented. What was it for you? You know, it was, you know, there's nothing like it. Everybody, I'm, I'm telling you, there's nothing like that, that rivalry. There's, I listen, I'm a, I'm a soccer fan. I grew up playing soccer. Um, and you, you look at, if you ever watch a a, Dar, a, a a derby game in in the English Premier League and what that's like, or or these uh, 
these intense soccer games and matches in the environment. I said, the closest thing to that, I go, that's, that's the closest thing is a Red Sox Yankee game and, and going at it. Uh, there's such a mutual respect Jeter and I always had every time. Um, and when you're going out there competing, you hear this, um, uh, all the time, uh, about, oh, who's better or whatever. I said, listen, th that's not what it was about for us. We were out there, we were trying to win. And I think that's why we respected each other so much. And we did it differently. And we were on different teams and we were asked to do different things. So we're, we're totally different. We're different players. We're different. Um, but it, it was, yeah, they were intense. Uh, they were fun. Um, I don't think people really understand how we look at it. Because uh, I know, you know, you talk about, people are going to say, oh, what? Everybody always talks about the time I, you know, like, oh, you sat down. Jeter jumps in the stands. Look at Nomar. This is why he got traded. He was sulking. He was all that stuff. I laugh at that because nobody mm -hmm. really knows the story or what really went on. Nobody wanted to ask that because it made no sense. I, I was injured. I was severely, you know, I was dealing with Achilles tendonitis and in both, in both Achilles, once you have into one, it actually goes to two. So I'm dealing with that, come back. And uh, it was actually a, a, it was a med, it was a trainer's decision for me not to play. It wasn't my decision. I wanted to play. <clears throat> and, and, because they can actually feel the swelling in your Achilles. They can feel it. And I worked three months, four months trying to just get back to reduce it enough so I can play. Not, not where it's gone. It's painful. And I was supposed to actually sit every five days. And I actually played 10 games in a row, even though there was a day off and I was supposed to get them, but I didn't get that because we're supposed to get the swelling out. And so it's, I have this they'd make the decision like if you play if you go out there we get the swelling and we don't get it out you're back on the dl we and i'm like but i have to play and i said i'm not telling the manager you got to tell them i'm like this this so now i i'm depressed i'm really depressed what people say sulking is a difference between depression right and, which which is a whole nother story we can get on that i do suffer from but that's that's different that's what i felt not upset there doesn't like getting back at the rest uh, makes no sense at this time I, I need to play it's a free I, I need to play and we're playing the Yankees I'm trying to win and actually I never refuse not to go in actually I always tell people what people don't understand is Derek Jeter dives in the stands there's a right-hander up at the on the mound Trot Nixon the lefties up and there's a lefty warming up in the bullpen yeah how come that lefty didn't come in to face Trot Nixon the reason the lefty didn't come in to face Trot Nixon because the guy who was going to hit when if that lefty comes in was me. I'm getting ready for this whole game. I was actually in and out of the dugout trying to get my legs ready to at least go hit when the moment started. And I knew it. And they were like, well, you're just sitting there. Yeah, I sit. I sit. And well, you know me. I sit in one spot every stadium. Right. I have one right. spot. Even my teammates go, get into your spot. We need to run. So I'm doing that. You know, get a spot. Get in your spot. So I actually... And then when I'm getting ready, you've seen me too, Swain. It's like there's this thing that comes over me and it just gets locked in. I sit in yep. my spot and now it's the zone and you go in. Well, I'm in that area because I don't know when I'm going to get called to hit. So I'm getting ready to go hit. And now I, I was supposed to hit at that moment if the lefty comes in. So I'm still in this moment. And, and now everybody's like, oh, he's sulking. This was it. You were pouting because they see Jeter do all that stuff. And uh, to me, it's unfortunate because – even when our general manager actually said it wasn't no more decision, nobody ever interviewed me and tried to understand that they didn't want that to like the other story, but that's the truth. That's what it is. And uh, because those rivalries, I like, it made no sense to sit, especially when I had, I actually had a lot of success at Yankee stadium, which yeah. is thank goodness I did. 
uh, why would I not want to go out there and perform? Uh, also, even if I am possibly going to be a free agent, you want to go at the places you have the most success in and really show what you're made of. So it made no sense for me to sit that day. It really didn't. So, uh, but it is what it is, but they were fun rivalries and, and I embrace them and, and, and Jeter, you know, he's great for sure. Was there one moment uh, in those uh, series, whether it was at Yankee Stadium or in Boston, that you remember was impactful? Because you get to sit back and, and think about those things now. Does one stick out in your mind? Mm. Gosh, they were – no. you know what? There's so many different games that stick out. I remember mm-hmm. when – gosh, in the postseason and Roger Clemens and, and – and we knocked out Roger Clemens and the crowd at Fenway Park is one side is going, where is Roger? The other side saying in the shower, you know what I mean? Is that, uh, which is kind of cool. And then there's uh, the times when we lost game seven uh, in 2003 uh, at Yankee Stadium. Uh, it wasn't Wakefield's fault. It wasn't Boone's home run that lost it. It was it was I couldn't believe what like you're going, oh, my God, I think we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden it's a jam shot off Pedro that ends up falling in it's a ball off the end a bleeder that you're like how did that fall and stay fair to the right that now all of a sudden there really weren't that many hard hits off them in that one inning where they start coming back there was maybe there was one but there was other ones that weren't hit really hard to culminate to that so those moments still stick out you know um I remember playing in um in uh in 90 in 98 in the I'm sorry. Yeah. In um, 99, sorry. In 99. And we play against them in this, in the playoffs and we lose to them and they end up going on to the world series. But I know we were the world series to them because we had the number was one of the best team, but I remember uh, dealing with my wrist. I had just got hit in the wrist and had that wrist injury and the stuff I was doing just to play um, shots. I was taking, it was just, it was crazy, but I remember I only, nobody knew I, I was playing in someone. I only had like four or five swings a game. That's it. I can only swing the bat like five times. And that was it because it was so painful. And I, so I really had to, had to make them count. And I remember uh, David Cohn getting me with two strikes at Yankee Stadium. And he kind of did a twist, turned around like he was going <laughs> to trick me, you know, like, uh, uh, and, uh, and he threw this slider that I end up swinging and hitting out. You know, and I'd already swung twice. I think I had two swings in that. So I'm like, now I have two strikes on me. So I'm like, okay, I only have maybe two more swings than me, three more swings than me. This whole game, this is like my second at bat. You know, I'm like, great. <laughs> and so I end up hitting this slider out. And while I was like, man, and guess what? They walked me the rest of the game. They were pitching around me. Like, Thank goodness because I can't swing this bat. <laughs> I'm done. It hurts so bad. My wrist hurts so bad. But I remember that moment hitting that. And, uh, and so, yeah, these moments just kind of pop in and you think of these series and, and uh, the intense. I, I have a picture. I have a picture in my house, actually, of Derek Jeter. Uh, it's one of my favorite pictures in my house. And it, the reason I have it is because he's actually looking over his shoulder and it's at Fenway Park. And as he's looking over his shoulder, he's looking at a home run go over the wall and it says at bat number five. So he's watching my home run go over Fenway park. So, awesome. it's great. so like, like, you know, things like that. Like and I go and I go, I remember that moment. I go, it's I'm Dwight Gooden. It's like, I'm, it's like you, which is so cool. Uh, that things like that can remind you and uh, and remember remember special things. You know, it's so much fun to hear you recount these stories because on the outside as fans, we have one view and it's great to hear what's really going on there. And you talk about that injury in 2001 and I don't want fans to forget, you turned those into all-star years in 02 and 03. So you found a way to get right. 
But I do want to take you to 2004 because, again, from the fans' perspective, that's when it got really squirrely. You put in these nine wonderful years in Boston, and then you start hearing the chatter on the outside. How much of it is real? How much of it is media narrative? Uh, on the outside, we'd never know. But we do know there were some contract issues. There was the A-Rod acquisition talk. Uh, there was some perceived friction with the team. And it leads to a trade in July of 2004. What do you remember about that time in your baseball life? And what's fact and what's fiction? Gosh, uh, what's fact, what's fiction? That's a that's a great question because... Uh, there's a lot of fiction. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fiction. You know, I just addressed what happened on that play or what happened when I was in at, at New York and I was sitting that day and not playing that game. I mean, this is, we're also talking about, it was in July. We got a whole rest of the season going and what you're trying to think about, you know, um, you know, when it comes to the contract, everybody, everybody was always bringing up, well, the contract, there was friction. Yeah, there was um, at, at spring training, you know, or before the season. Um, you know, because there's a lot of fiction as far as what was being offered, what was declined, what was accepted as far as my contract's concerned. So um, numbers and stuff that that and what I was right, what I was willing to to settle for and do. So there's a lot of that's one thing that's kind of starts that's not all the facts aren't out. But what they don't really realize, too, is once I started the season, that year and now all of a sudden it's a regardless of that I want to go out there and just play and prove that you know so we can sign I still want to be there everybody thinks I want out of Boston uh they don't know I, I was always one that more than me I can't compete and constantly be interviewed and tell no this isn't true this isn't true this isn't true I can't control that all I can do is because I would never be able to focus on the game and play I thought my actions said more than me than anything. Well, guess what? In 03, not only did I get married, but uh, I'm building a house in Boston. I'm building a multi-million dollar house. And the only reason, and I'm not one that builds something or does something unless I have something that's there. Well, that, we thought, I thought this contract was done. Like, this was going to be signed. This was a no-brainer. It was easy. We were trying to sign it. And then all of a sudden, things, they were like, hold on, hold on. Next thing I know, they're, they're looking after Alex Rodriguez. I'm like, whoa, we're blindsided. And then they, they told me it's all about me. They weren't going to see Alex. And then uh, two days later, they're on the plane still to go see Alex. So there's a lot that really goes on more. But once I got to spring training, and once I did this, and they're like, oh, you're upset. I'm saying, yeah, you're upset. But now it's baseball. Listen, I'm also a professional. I got to go out there and perform regardless. And then my Achilles happens. So I have this Achilles injury, which sucks. And it's painful. I mean, what people don't even talk about or know is David Ortiz dealt with Achilles tendonitis. Took him nine months to get back. I came back in three. Yeah. I played shortstop, you know, and I'm playing, you know, and, and I'm not saying David took long, but it's funny when David had it, I was at ESPN and he was dealing. I said, Hey David, so it's in both, huh? And he looked at me like, what? Nobody knows it. He goes, how do you know? I said, what do you think I had? I had both. Right. If mm -hmm. you get it in one, you get in the other. It just, your body's compensating. You have both. So you got Achilles tendonitis, which is super painful in both. So to heal that, so you're, you're trying to heal two at the same time and you're dealing with two and trust me, they don't, they don't go evenly. There's <laughs> one that could be super swollen and one, not one day. So the best way to control it is about going, it's like filling your, it's like filling up a water balloon and you fill up a water balloon and you have a needle that's slowly letting the water out. And you're going to get to a point where that water balloons burst, but you want to stop. And then you got to rest. So the water can slowly come out where that needle puncture is. So then you can fill it back up. 
That's what you're dealing with on a regular basis and trying to control. And everybody's different and you're doing it into. That's what it's like. So that's a bummer in and of itself. So now I come back because, like I said, I need to play. And everybody's thinking, gosh, he's, he's doing this. I mean, there was an article. I mean, here's one that's so hurtful is that year I had a foundation in Boston. And I talked about my uncle. My uncle helped run the foundation. That year, and I'd always have this celebrity, big, huge bowling event there. It was a massive thing there. We, raised, we had that bowling charity event, raised a lot of money. Well, our foundation, this is probably one of my greatest accomplishments, is our foundation gave a million dollars that we cleared the million dollar market giving back over the years for our foundation. Look at my, I remember looking at my, my brother, my uncle, my brother, and I said, man, can you believe two kids from Whittier were able to get back a million dollars in the place that we're not even from? It's pretty special, man. Mm-hmm. And I remember just that day and after the event and emotion, the next day an article goes, no more faking his injury to screw the, the Red Sox. That's the article I get. I just gave a million dollars the day before. This is what I get. You could have wrote this any other time. So I'm like, wow, this is what I have to go. I'm like, well, screwing the, I, I, this is crazy. I want to get out there, right? So then I'm finally coming back. I'm dealing with the injury. I'm trying to play through it. I'm supposed to have every five days off. That was said. And that's just a, that's just what we hope. You know, there's no science to the, 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 the swelling in your Achilles. So I'm just, I'm just dealing with, I mean, on my, in my head every day is, am I going to be able to play today? Am I going to be able to play today? How am I? I mean, it's, it's hours on the training room to play a game. You're spending hours to try to calm this down. Like people don't understand that too. What you do just to try to play sometimes when you're playing with a, with an injury uh, and guys are doing that now. I mean, everybody knows, and we just don't say it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so then Oh four, you're going, you're trying to come back. Everybody thinks that Yankee part was, was it was the final thought. No, that wasn't the final. I don't think, you know, whatever you can ask ownership, what they felt, but it was, I'm trying to steal heal this. I don't know if I'm going to be go on a DL or not. I don't know that, you know, they're asking me how's it feel. I'm like, Hey, we're, we're, we're doing as best we can. We're trying to do this. I just need these days off because it seems to be working whenever we can to get them. Like I said, that was told to the manager yet. I didn't have one. I played 10 days straight up into that day, <laughs> that day where they sent me in that Yankee series and I want to play. And I'm like, then you guys do it. I can't make this decision because you guys know about medical stuff more than I do. And then you get traded, you know, and that was a, that was a tough day for me. You know, they call me in and say, you got traded. I remember D'Lo thinking, oh, hey guys, he was thinking he's traded and the deadline. And I come out, it wasn't you, it was me. And, and you, you, you don't know what to feel. You, all these emotions, you can't believe it. Like I said, I'm building a home. I never got to see my home. I got, I got rid of it before uh, I built, you know, when it was finished, you know, cause I'm gone. Uh, that's the kiss of death, as you know, Sween. Every time you figure you're yeah. going to be somewhere, right. that's when they get rid of you. Right. Uh, but, but as a professional, uh, you have to turn the, You have to turn. You have to turn it quick. You know why? Because I get told I'm traded. I pack my stuff up. I got to go to the hotel, pick up my bags. I got to jump on the plane the next morning, and I got to go now into a new locker, and I have to go play and compete because they're trying to win a World Series. When, when you have time to think about when you have time to, you know, you're feeling everything. Your life just changed in, a, in an instant. Uh, everything you thought was going to be happening, everything you thought, everything you, you poured your heart and soul in from a foundation standpoint, from the way you played every single thing, you know, to me, it, it's gone, you know, and, and all this stuff going, you would hear all this, uh, oh, he's bad in the clubhouse. He's this. I'm like, really? Because I, I had to go ask my teammates, you guys felt this way? They're like, no, you're, we love you. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, I'm like, thank you. Gosh, I'm so glad to hear that. 
you know um but it's gone like oh why would i want to leave this i was i gave everything you know and it's funny is how everybody seems like guys oh people change like you were this one guy who was always there played your butt off played your butt off and now you're not that guy like that doesn't just change you know that's you're one way in this game that's who you are there may be circumstances that change but you don't change you still are giving everything you got and that's the only thing i knew how i couldn't go compete and and uh, i remember i remember um my uncle allowed this reporter to do this article on me it was a sunday article and i got so mad at him because they interviewed my parents interviews people and i got so mad at him angry and he goes why are you angry he goes people need to know what you're like people need to know this is you and i said well two things i said one my parents didn't pick this life i did so they don't need to be brought into it. you know that's for me they don't need to they're my parents they don't need to bring they don't need and they don't need to talk about how great whatever that that's not what this is about and I go, and they interviewed some friends. And I said, and the other thing, when they interview friends and there's moments, I know they like to talk about me, but I said, those are private moments which makes our friendship special. The moment yeah. they're public, they're no longer ours. So mm -hmm. I don't like this. So I value those friendships and I value those moments because that's what makes it special. And then I told them finally, and what am I going to do with this article? Carried in my back pocket. And every time they write something bad or negative that we all know that's not true, I'm just going to say, no, no, here's the truth and just bust it out of my back pocket. I can't compete with that. It's just going to be one day. It's a Sunday and it's going to be there and it's going to be gone. Yeah. I go, it doesn't matter. I go, so what am I supposed to do? I go, so what, what, what did this accomplish? You know, and I, and I, and I love him. I know what he, I know his intent, but I was just explaining and he was like taken back. Like, I didn't know you think this way. I go, yeah, this is the way I think. Don't take those moments are cherished and should be are ours. Once they're public, they're no longer ours, you know, and then they didn't sign up for this. I did. And so thank you. I get it. But at the same time, those I care about, those I know, uh, those who know me uh, know who I am. And, and that's all that matters. And, uh, you know, I even say that for, you know, when people accuse me of steroids and stuff. I uh, get accused of that. I played in the worst era. And I'm like, gosh, you can't believe what I, you know, I say, I've never taken them. Absolutely not. They were like, so, so many guys that said that I get that. I go, no, no, it's if people really knew me and people who don't do know me. What I talked to, I've already talked about my father, how much my father means to me and what he means. I said, my father was always so proud of me and he wasn't proud if I made it. He was going to be proud of me if I didn't make it. I mean, God, it didn't matter. I know how he looked. He's just proud to do it right. And I said, and the greatest thing is being able to look at my father every day and know I did it right. Never cheated. I remember Mark McGuire when he, um, when he finally admitted that he took steroids. He was on six, I think 60 minutes, whatever, but he was announcing it. And he's breaking down. He said the hardest thing was calling his father and telling him. And I remember calling my dad and my parents. I said, you know what the greatest thing is? I never have to make that call. Yep. And they're like, we know. And my father goes, I would have known. I know you didn't, but I would have known. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I know. I, he knows me so freaking well. Of course he would have known. And I could never have done that. Never, ever. Not only just to him, but just to this game. People think you play this game for the fame and fortune. You play this game for respect to get the respect from your peers. So yeah, you hear, you ask me what was fact, what was fiction. 
when I saw my teammates when I was in Chicago, when they came through and to see them and them hug me and them say, hey, we missed you and them see that, I was like, okay, it's all fiction because I still have the respect. That's what you play this game for, to get the respect from your peers. And if you accomplish that, it's priceless. It's called you've done your job. It really is. Uh, no more. I mean, you, when you get respect from your teammates, um, the rest of your career is extra. I, I mean, that's the way I look at it. The way I, I've always um, watched you and how you presented yourself was always professional and work ethic. Um, so that always sticks out in my mind. You go over to Chicago, you have that moment with your, with your teammates, but then unfortunately you have to watch them uh, end a drought with a World Series championship. Um, I think a lot of fans, including myself as a game of baseball, expected Nomar Garcia Parra to be there for the last out. What was that like for you? Because that's challenging, but also it's also the buildup and what you've done for that organization, even leading into the year 2004. And a lot of people don't talk about that, but what was it like for you to watch that ending for the Boston Red Sox? Well, it's uh, it was mixed feelings for sure. Obviously, you know, crush wanting to be there with them. Elated because it finally happened. Uh, I realized when I my time in Boston, you know, as a player, you always said you want to win a World Series, win a World Series. People don't, like I said, people not really understanding me. I, what I did learn when I was there, I don't want to just win a World Series. I want to win a World Series here. I wanted to stay there my entire career. I want to win a World Series here because I realized, you know what? The World Series for me as a player, we all say we want to win a World That's our goal. I always say that was my goal every year, win a World Series. But I realized here it's bigger than me. This isn't about me. This is bigger than me. So I want to win it here. What do I have to do to win it here? because I know what it means to these people. And these are the people who have treated me and still continue to treat me. There's a reason why, there's a reason why I retired as a Red Sox, <laughs> just because the way the fans have embraced me as their own. And so that, so I was elated when it finally happened. The other great thing is, talking about respect, is when they were going, when the Red Sox were going through that run and they were winning games, I was getting phone calls from the guys while they were on the bus. Awesome. Hey man, Nomar. Did you see that? You, I go, dude, you guys are going to do it. Yeah, man. It's unbelievable. Just thinking about you. I'm like, oh, that means the, mo that means the world to me. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Like they were calling, you know, remember the calls from like trot and everything. You're like, Hey, it's no more on the phone. Hey, what's up? You know, it's, that's, that also told me like how, what they think of me <laughs> in that moment, they're doing that. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was definitely tough because you want to be there. It's tough. You want to celebrate. It's tough the way the media probably makes it out going, oh, yeah, they finally won because you're out of there. It's like, really? Because I thought I had a pretty big part of it regardless. Right. Either either you're saying, well, once they traded you and we got these pieces that we really needed to win it, well, you're welcome. If it wasn't for me, you don't get those pieces. Yeah. Uh, if you also look at the pieces you got in the offseason that actually put you over the top, those great players don't come over unless we're winning and have a team that's a, that's a winning team yes. build up to that. You know, we were a team that was one game away from the world series the year before. So we were pretty darn good. Uh, we were pretty special. Uh, so, and, and just probably the whole, the whole mentality and the whole, uh, you know, they talk about how close that team was talk about the dinners. They talk about all of that stuff. 
you know where that actually started from? You want to know where that came from? And I was trying to tell people, I'm like, listen, this isn't me. Brett Saberhagen started that. Saberhagen, when he came over, taught us, he started all the dinners and why, you know, we would have 20 guys and you know, Swain, having 20 guys at a dinner is awesome, wow, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. We would have something like that on a regular basis with this team, but, but it was Sage who started that all throughout the years, culmination, everybody's like, all oh, this team, everybody would go out to dinner. We're like, yeah, well, it actually started way back even then. Like this is the buildup for a championship mentality, championship mm-hmm. culture, and a championship team. It's those guys that can't get overlooked. So tough to watch. Absolutely wanted to be there. Absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny because one of the classiest things, and you guys know him uh, as well, know how classy is Dave Roberts. Mm-hmm. They win the World Series last year classy thing is he's up there and what does he say he thinks ross stripling right i guess try to hate ross right i mean like that's classy that's what you do right because mm-hmm. you know it's not just that moment it's everything it's a championship team to you know it's a it's a championship season it's not just a, a a championship series there's more to that you know we travel through the rest of your career too uh 04 you finished with the cubs 05 you're in that uniform as well uh, but the young kid from Whittier, California, gets to put on a Dodger uniform. What was that for you, and what did that mean? Because you became an all-star in 2006 as well. You know, it's funny. Another factor fiction question you had uh, for me is a lot of the fiction was he wanted to get rid- get out of Boston and go home. He wanted to go play in L.A. He wanted to get out of there, right? Um, I actually never wanted to go uh, play in L.A. because – the way my life was in Boston was so was crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and to some sense, as far as the way people looked at me, treated, couldn't walk in the streets, going to restaurants, couldn't do all like it was different. I never wanted to bring that at home. So I was like, I don't want to play in LA. That home is home. That's different. That's my, you know, that's when I, I just get to be me. I mean, my mom always, every time I come home still to this day, my mom makes me throw out the trash, go throw yeah. out the trash. Like yeah. a reminder. Yes, mom. Um, so I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this. All right. <laughs> I'm signed in with LA. Boy, I was wrong. It, I was so lucky to put on this uniform. I'm still grateful that I'm still part of the Dodger organization to this day. Um, when I drive up to Dodger Stadium, since I was the first place I went to go see a, a game was at Dodger Stadium. Drive up, and uh, I, it brings a smile to my. It's still to this day, as I'm working there, I still smile the moment I start going up the ramp into the gate. It makes me smile every day. So now I'm playing and I'm doing that, and. Uh, to be able to look up after every game into the stands and see my parents, priceless. They were there batting practice. Uh, Swing, you would see them. You know, they were there. And right. I'd go say hi to them. I'd give my mom and dad a hug uh, at home every game. And then to be able to wave at them. I loved when I loved when we won. We shook hands on the field. And then I could look up and I could wait for them. Wow. Like, this is the team that they cheered for. Can I imagine now that they have, they're looking at their son putting that jersey on and wearing it. And, uh, you know, here's a, a real quick sort of like just kind of also with the dot, like I still say the best looking hat in all of baseball is a Dodger hat, a mm-hmm. brand new wool Dodger hat. When, when that off season, Ned Coletti was showing me around and, uh, he was like, here, you know, give you a hat, you know, showing right here's a hat. And I said, I can't accept that from you. Take that from you. And he looked at me like, well, what? You can't take this from me. I'm like, nah, thank you. I appreciate it. I said, you don't understand. He looked at me and he go, I go, look, my whole life as a, I go growing up as a kid, 
I always wanted a wool Dodger hat. I used to ask my parents, can you buy me a wool Dodger hat? Honestly, they, they're like, cost too much. Couldn't afford it, it cost too much. So I didn't get a wool Dodger hat. I thought the only way I'll ever get a wool Dodger hat is if I ever play here at the stadium for the Dodgers. I, so I told them, I said, the reverence I have for just the hat alone means the world to me. I can't accept that because the only way I could ever wear that hat is if I become a Dodger because it means that much. So I remember when I got announced and I put, grabbed that hat, put the wool Dodger hat. It was like so emotional. Like, here it is. I, I, I did it. And uh, yeah, playing, playing at home in front of your family and parents and is, uh, is special. And like I said, I'm still grateful that the Dodgers uh, have been good to me. And, 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 and I think it's because of the four plus one game against the Padres, but we don't have to go there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that no more. <clears throat> you know what? Um, there's, there's a wow moment that you talked about with the, with the hat and the, the rich history is overwhelming at times when you're in that uniform. I had the privilege, obviously, to be your teammate, be in that uniform. But was there a wow moment for you? Uh, was it Tommy Lasorda? Was it uh, the, the plethora of talent that would come yes. to spring training? What was yes. that for you? Steve Garvey and Ron Say. Hmm. Steve Garvey and Ron Say. Obviously, Tommy going in there. We know what Tommy. But... You know, growing up, I don't ha- I don't have a favorite favorite player. But if you ask me, probably like who are my favorite Dodgers? I was like, oh, Steve Garvey, Ron Say. You know, growing up, and you know everybody. You know, Davey Lopes. You knew the infield. You knew who they were. Dusty Baker on the outfield. I mean, you knew it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but here I am as a Dodger, and I'm playing first. <laughs> I come over to play first base, and I have Steve Garvey at spring training teaching me. And listen, Eddie Murray also taught me a lot about first base. Okay, you know, Eddie was there. He was one of our coaching staff. But Steve, I have Steve Garvey teaching me first base. And then Ron Say when he was there. And I would just, I mean, still when I, I am like a little kid when I see these guys. When I'm around Steve Garvey and I'm around Ron Say, that little kid of me just comes out. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Uh, there's also, uh, I remember uh, Suhu, he took a picture. And I was on one of the Dodger magazine covers. And I'm in the middle. And it's funny, this picture is still, it hangs up in my parents' house of me in the middle of Steve Garvey and Ron say, and I'm like, Oh my, I look at that. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah. So that moment is, is, uh, is cool. Um, and it's, and it's funny because now there's another picture too. When you think about just the history, like I said, I learned the history of Boston. I'm so grateful for that. But one of the, the old timers game quote, old timers game. And now I, now I think officially I'm an old timer before you say, call it a legends game before you call it old timer, but it's official. Uh, but I have a picture and I'm there with, with Sandy Koufax and I take a picture. Sue who has that my parents behind Well, Sandy's my mom's favorite player. So I'm like, here, mom, here's a picture of me and Sandy. She thinks that's like the coolest thing. Oh my God, you were Sandy. So, uh, so yeah, like that's, that's what makes it special. That's what makes it all worthwhile. That's what, uh, that's what you, you are so grateful that those, those positive things keep popping up in your head. Yeah, the great John Sue, who, who you mentioned, uh, longtime photographer for the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, talking about talent. Go online and and look at some of his yeah. pictures and and how he's represented the organization. Uh, I, I mentioned being a teammate with yours uh, at and coming over there in 07 and then playing in 08. Nomar meant a lot to me uh, because you weren't that everyday guy, and we got to chat, we got to talk, we got to have those meals. 
which meant everything to me because I was a bench player my whole career. I enjoyed that aspect. I want to bring you to a moment that I thought was really impactful for the Dodgers. Um, they had a lot of young talent, as we knew, um, over there. And it was they were trying to infuse into uh, a lot of these guys coming up to the big leagues. Well, in, in 08, Ned Coletti brings over Manny Ramirez. Uh, just to put in perspective for our listeners, Manny Ramirez played 53 games in 08 for the Dodgers. 17 home runs, 53 RBIs, and he batted 396. So he put on a show, right? And we saw it. We saw it every night. It, it was amazing what he did. But I remember a moment. I want to take you back, and hopefully you remember it and put your perspective on it. Russell Martin, a catcher, a very talented guy, had a very good career went on to have a good career. Now he's, he's, uh, he's gone. But this is a situation where he's on the bench that night and Manny comes up and with bases loaded and drills a double, scores all three, and the place is going crazy at Dodger Stadium. And he looks at me and you were right next to me and he says, I don't even believe I'm a good player right now. And there was a lot of pressure on these younger players to be the next coming. And I thought it was a cool perspective for me to hear him saying it to himself, but also you're there in the presence. And why I say this to our listeners, I don't think he realized what Nomar Garcia Parra did in the game of baseball. How many moments you had just like Manny Ramirez, but Manny was doing it in front of him. But it's always perspective and why I say this. It's perspective of the game and how guys look at themselves and put themselves in a position where they want to be better. Um, do you remember that moment? And what did it mean to you? Because he, here's the guy that is saying, I don't feel like a good player because Manny is just putting on a show and he's an elite player. You were that guy for so many years. And, and it had to be interesting for you to take that in. Well, uh, yeah, because you go, I know, yeah, you know that feeling. I know what that's like. I know what he, you're right. You know what he's doing and it's great. And, um, and you write it, but also hearing that from young guys and, and you and I both know during that time, you know, we were trying to talk about dinners, take these guys out to dinners. We were trying to show them that way and go, Hey, listen, let's, this is where you're going to learn the game and talk about it. Yes. Those bench got you're on the bench and you're talking about it. But I think there is, is a reminder going, well, if you're not a good player, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> First and foremost, right. because this is a select few. And Russell Martin was one of the younger guys that would actually listen to us. That's why he was sitting next mm -hmm. to us. <laughs> you know yeah. that. And I, we still had a great relationship, even when I was retired and I would see him. And he would still say, even when he came back to the Dodgers again, the most recent, his last uh, uh, few years, a couple years ago. And I would still see him in the locker, like, and talk to Russ. Hey, Russ, let's go sit. You know, we would chat and still talk this game. Uh, so that's how great. And I, that's, I'm sure, why he had such a successful career. Uh, as well but yeah you you know that you see it it wasn't shocking to me what Manny I guess also too it was funny it wasn't shocking to me what Manny was doing you know he was like wow but it wasn't shocking I and it's funny because I remember when the media came to me because like you're getting Manny Ramirez what can we expect and I said it's funny I told him this I go well <laughs> here's what's going to happen I go you're going to hear he was awful in the clubhouse cancer had to get rid of him he's 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 through you can hear all this bad stuff about here he's gonna come in here he's gonna be smiling he's gonna say hey what's up everybody 
you're going to talk to him. You're going to be scratching your head because he's just going to be cheerful for you as he's talking to you. And then you're going to see one of the great right-handed hitters and you're just going to be in awe and scratch your head like what are they talking about he's through <laughs> he's bad he's all this stuff what's going to happen i go that's what's going to happen <laughs> and it's funny because the reporters came back like huh uh you were right i said I, oh i know been through it understand it right. yeah he's he's this he's this he's this you got to get rid of him you got to do all this stuff i said you know going back to back i go but he's going to be great and he, and he was and uh you go fact and fiction, you were talking about that, which all fact and fiction, uh, you know, keep going back to your question, it's like, yeah, you got to weed through all that. I remember one time um, somebody was asking me, like, here I was, I was so bad for the Red Sox. I said, that's all right, because before me, Mo Vaughn was supposed to be bad. He was a bad guy. Before Mo Vaughn, it was, you know, it was Roger Clemens. Before Roger Clemens, it might have been Greenwell. And then it was uh, Jim Rice, how bad he was. And then you go back and go, and it went all the way back to Ted Williams, how bad he was. You know, after me, it was, you know, even Terry Francona. It was everybody. I go, there's a long list of guys who have been bad and, and cancers in the clubhouse. I said, so I go, we all can't be bad. Right. <laughs> I, go, I'm gonna, I go, I'm in a pretty distinguished list right there. All right. The names I'm talking about. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I go, man, he's in there too, you know, and uh, boy, it's a Jordan. It was, we got to see it. We, I, I got to see it right early, but, and I, I just chuckled. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've seen this. Watch what's going to happen. He's just going to rake. He's going to hit that off. This guy's over. Oh, I remember even telling these young guys, you know, when he would swing and he would, it's almost like he was screaming out, you know, a bad word in Spanish even before it seemed like he even made contact, like he knew he was going to miss it. He'd foul it off. And then I'd go, Oh, and I'd hit the young guy and hit. I'm like, Oh my God, watch the next pitch. How far it goes. And they're like, What are you talking about? I'm like, did you not hear him just scream? That means he's spot on. He's right on. And he ain't going to miss again. And they're like, looking next one. They like, they look at me. How'd you know that? I said, cause I've seen it all the time. <laughs> You've seen it for so long. This is how great this guy is. You, uh, you, you can marvel and, um, yeah, to be able to play with players like that, it's uh, it's it's fun to watch. It's quirky. It's like the writers need a villain, so they'll create one at times just to fit a narrative, isn't it? Strange uh, like that. Listen, it's it's unfair for me to say, hey, writers and blame. Like, listen, I, I, whatever they're whatever they want with that's they have a job to do, you know. And I, you know, here I am on the media. I'm on the other side now too, and doing that. But I I wish I wish I had done this job while I was playing. To be quite honest with you. I really wish I had done some of this while I was playing so I could understand because it was never told to me, never brought up to me about how, what the needs are and the different types of media outlets that there are, what, what a television person is probably looking for that day, what a beat writer is, the one who's just supposed to talk about and what an opinion, what a columnist, all of these different aspects, national TV, all of that and what it means. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever explained that to me. I understood that. <laughs> I went more when I was out of the game than I was in the game. I'm like, yeah. gosh, that's a whole different perspective. Wow. Oh, now I know what it means. How I know how it means for the game to grow the game and understanding that. I changed. Listen, I was different when I left when I left there, and, and I, I tried to make it right. Like that was talk about fact or fiction. I remember one time I, I went to spring training and I was going, hey, listen, I need to be better with you guys. Let's start all over. Please give me advice on how I can be better. We did all this stuff, and. I was taken in because spring training is a good time to relax. And I said, okay, here's some things that are important to me. Here as I am. I'm very regimented. Every minute counts, blah, blah, blah. So then I talk, we gather them all in. I said, thanks for your advice. 
here's what I figure we can work together to help your job and my job and what I have to do. And I kind of laid out groundwork when the, you know, when we can talk, setting up after games, I'll do this for you as best I can, blah, blah, blah. And the headline is no more now has rules to talk about them. I'm like, now I have rules. What are you talking about? This isn't rules. This was just stuff. So we can, but I was like, okay, I'm never going to win here. And that's, but that's also, that was an opinion home. That's not the other beat writers, but I threw them all in the same boat. Then you're all bad. Right. And that's not how it is. And then I had to learn and I got better when I was in Chicago, you have to grow. And I was in LA and you change and you do that. So for me to say, well, writers need villains, writers need, uh, listen, everyone, now I realize there's different ones out there. I can no longer throw them in the same boat. I understand that, recognize that. I wish this is told to these guys even now, because it's not. Uh, I wish they did. They were, there was a better job at doing this and teams would do a better job at doing it, but it's not. And that's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate because there are guys who are really good. Media savvy are great and their personality is great. And there's other guys that come off like they're not and they're jerks, but they're great people. I'll, I'll tell you a perfect example. Clayton Kershaw comes off awful when he does interviews. People have this probably vision of Clayton Kershaw when he does it. And I even tell people, I go, when you want to talk to Clayton Kershaw, don't talk to him about himself. Talk to him right. about uh, mm -hmm. other people and you're going to have the best interview ever. He doesn't like talking about himself. And Somebody had told me, they're like, oh, I can't believe you're in the media. We're like, well, you don't like talking about yourself. You like talking about, you know, uh, the game. I said, yeah, I go, because it's always about you. And I don't want to hear that. I was just kind of zoned in. Yeah. So for me to say, yeah, they all, I, I can't do that. Uh, whatever, whatever people's prerogatives in the media and what they choose to do, it's their own prerogative and do that. And now that I'm on this side, I, I feel there is a responsibility. And now my responsibility is to share this game, share the knowledge, embrace this game this beautiful game that is baseball and, and continue to talk about it. Well, I got to tell you, I got 30 plus years in the hole as a member of the media. And I can tell you there are a few of us who want to look in the mirror and be a lot better than we've been over time. I wouldn't put that on you to call that into question <laughs> at all, but like any form of uh, avocation or vocation, I should say, you, you got to sharpen your act a little bit. I'd like to see a little tightening of the belt around some of the media myself, but that's another show. Let me ask you this though. You've seen a lot of baseball. There are those of us who watched your career who could make a strong argument that in a window of time, you were right there, if not the best all-around shortstop in the game. Certainly a top two or three guy. My question to you, though, as you say, you want to comment on other players, best shortstop you've ever seen in person. Who is it? Oh, man. Best shortstop I've ever seen in person. Depends on what we're talking about because I can break down the position in different ways. <laughs> right. Uh, How about all around? Ooh, all around. Well, I'll tell you who I loved watching. Jay Bell. Jay Bell was one of my favorites to watch. And even and then get, I remember working out with him and I was like, oh, my God, it's Jay Bell. This is so cool. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when we would train in the offseason, he was just solid. Got the job done. Nothing flashy, nothing fancy, grinder, gamer, got it done. It went with, with the situation, asked for him at the plate, made the plays. Unbelievable. That, I, that's awesome. Um, now, there's guys, what they do in the game. I mean, listen, I just want one day. One day, can I just go take ground balls and feel Omar Vizquel's hands? I just want his hands one day. <laughs> right. Just one day. I'm not being greedy. Right. Just one day, I want to take ground balls and go, oh, that's what Omar Vizquel feels like. Oh, that's freaking awesome. That's unbelievable. You know, like, that's what you marveled at. Like, when people would, 
would talk about when I played, you know, you had Mescal, you had Tejada, you got A-Rod, you got Jeter, you got myself, you got all this. You know what was great? This is what I loved about, like, position and short, short stuff, and also in this game. We all excelled, and we did it differently. We all excelled, and we impacted our team, but we did it differently. You know, and a perfect example is, like, how we go to our right. You know, A-Rod, go to his right, he'd field it, stand up, and he'd throw. Jeter would jump in the air, and then he'd throw. I'd go off one leg and I swing it and I throw and I throw across the first base. Right. And it's funny. We'd be in all-star games sometimes and talking about like, Hey, how do you jump and throw that? Or how do you plant so hard to throw? And then they're like, dude, how do you throw off the sidearm and get that much hot? Like we're all kind of talking about how do you guys do this? Because I know I can't, but you can't like, how do you do that? And, and that's, what's cool about it. It's like, all right, but guess what? The result all of us did was an out, you know, right. like, and the scale, how do you do? And everybody was like, and listen, Omar, how the hell do you do everything you do? You know, <laughs> it was like, you know, and that's, that's the respect. It comes back to that game of respect of the game. So if I could just pick one guy, I think it's almost unfair to just say right now, who's the best shortstop I ever saw. I don't know. Um, I'm also grateful like Cal Rip, what Cal Ripken did in the game and how he changed the game, because here's a big guy that's playing shortstop and they were saying he shouldn't be a shortstop, but he did it. Um, I love the fact what we did was I think we changed the game is that we changed the view of the position where it's all it's predominantly only glove man and not necessarily offense. We had guys now that could hit in the middle of the lineup from that position. So that's changed. So it, it's uh, I can't pick one. I mean, there's so many guys I enjoy watching even now. I, I think in today's game, the only thing I'm sad about with the way the game today is we don't get to see how good these guys are now yep. anymore. We don't get to see the athleticism. And the reason we don't get to see athleticism is one, a perfect example is you can't take a guy out at second base. That showed athleticism, man. I remember like speaking of Omar Vizquel, there were times I'm thinking, I'm going to take this guy out in the left field. I got him this time. Yeah, it's a slow roller. He's done. I got, I'm coming in hard. I'm going to slide in late and I'm ready for the collision. I slide and I pop up and I turn around and they're throwing the ball around and he's just slapping because I didn't touch him. I'm like, how did he disappear? <laughs> how did that happen? There's no way I missed this guy. And you're like, oh my gosh. And then you go back and you see later on the replay and how he's jumping and just <laughs> avoiding and still gets like, it's, it's amazing. Like, and we don't get to see that uh, from these guys. Uh, I want to see Tatis do that. You know, guys coming in and, and doing it. Second basements do that. Uh, I want to also in their position, the range and all, we don't get to see these highlight reels anymore because they're playing now in right field. The shortstop playing in right field now is compared to shortstop. And that <laughs> is a different uh, play then. So it's so hard now to see, to say and see that in today's game. But there was guys still, even when I retired, I love watch Tulowitzki. Gosh, I, he was so, I loved watching with Jimmy Rollins and how he brought and how he approached the position. I think what I just love is watching how guys go about that position uh, respecting it and, and impacting it. Yeah. I think you can appreciate it too. And I love your perspective because there isn't one true answer. I mean, I say so many things I was blessed to watch as teammates. Uh, you think of it, uh, Nomar, and this will probably blow your mind. I got to watch Omar Vizquel and Ozzie Smith in the same uniform. And, and, and how do you compare both of them? They are so stylistic. And to your point, with that slide rule that's in effect, those guys never got touched. And, and I thought it was fascinating to me to be able to do that. Um, takes me to another question that I have for you, and, and we'll get away from the short stops, but your perspective and your insight, who was your favorite manager and why? Wow. Um, well, 
Kevin Kennedy, thank you. It was my very first manager and I got called up. So how are you not grateful for your first manager? And I only right. had him for a short time when I got called up. Uh, when I, I, you know, I played a month when I first got called up and he was the manager. So thank you, Kevin. And I have a great relationship. So that's awesome. Uh, Jimmy Williams, when I, my first, he was the one who says, okay, you're going to shortstop is going to be yours and you're going to be lead off. And, and I played under Jimmy Williams for a lot of time. I love Jimmy. My gosh, his knowledge, what he taught me. Wow. Uh, Grady Little was under, was the bench coach there. So Grady and I, oh my God, playing for Grady. I remember when, when Grady went, left Boston, went to uh, Cleveland. And then when we were looking for a new manager, Nobody knew it was in spring training. We didn't have a manager at starting spring training. Starting the season, we didn't have a manager. We didn't know our manager. The new ownership kind of comes in. And then all of a sudden, they're like, here's your new manager. And Grady walks in the, into the locker room, and the place erupts in cheers. And the manager goes, oh, I guess. I mean, the, the owner goes, I guess we made the right decision. I'm like, yeah, do you know what Grady means to us? Like, that was awesome. Grady was great. Dusty Baker, are you kidding me? Uh, I got to play with <laughs> Dusty. Yeah. Was, uh, so, And I got to play under Joe Torre. I got to play under a lot of great managers. I'm, I'm very lucky. And you get to... Uh, to um, to to learn from all of these guys and understand their styles and and how they do it. Um, so to say which one's my favorite, I, I don't I don't I don't think it's fair to say I have a favorite one um, because you know I'm grateful for what I learned from all of them. And listen, when it's all said and done, the manager decides if you're going to play. I got to play an awful lot, so thank you. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're they're the one writing out the lineup and they were willing to put that long name. And sometimes I think they were just sometimes they'd write no mark because Garcia Parr would hurt their hand. Um, it was too long. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm grateful they wrote my name in there. So so all of them. Thank you. You know, what's fascinating to me is how much we all learn from watching people who we admire and respect uh, handle their craft. And we take a little bit from this one and that one and kind of bring it into what works for us. It doesn't matter your line of work. I think everybody out there listening can appreciate that. I know watching baseball players growing up, I would watch and try to emulate some of the styles, maybe the Joe Morgan uh, arm pump or whatever. And I remember, and I know every fan out there is thinking the same thing as we go back and maybe watch you on YouTube and your batter's box ritual. You've discussed it before, but Tell us about the genesis of that, where it came from, what's perceived to be uh, nervous tics or whatever your mindset is. Walk us through all that pecking and pawing at the batting gloves and the whole bit. Well, first of all, it works. And why more people don't do it, I don't know. I mean, seriously, I mean, I don't know. I mean, just as, you know, I'm not a big, you know, stat guy, but my career average was, wasn't too bad. So if, if it works, don't, you know, just let you know. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it's actually kind of boring. It really is. Um, I, whenever I'm about to exert energy, I like let's on my sh I like my toes at the end of my shoes, make them feel tight. Like all right, I got them nice and tight. Let's go. So that's me tapping my toes. So I'm just tapping my toes, get my toes at the end of my shoes. Well, if I have something on my hands as a glove, I, it's the same thing. I want to hit feel that tightness. So I am not unstrapping my. It's not the Velcro. I'm actually pulling them down. I'm getting my fingers to the edge, just like I'm doing my toes. So all I'm doing is I'm pulling them. Now, I don't know how many times I'm doing it because I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about what the next pitch, what I'm supposed to be doing. So I step out and I say, everybody thinks, and by the way, everybody thinks the pace of game, they all blame me. They do this. I'm done in eight seconds. Right. See, the moment I step out, and by the way, I never left the batter's box. I always kept one foot in. I'm not walking around one foot in 
I get my gloves. I'm thinking about what I do. Boom. I'm a, the moment I start tapping, I'm ready to hit. I had a, I remember, I remember Jamie Moyer quick pitch me whack and I hit a double to right field. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's not a matter. I don't need to do them that many. I'm ready. You know, <laughs> I know like laughing, it doesn't matter. And, uh, but all the toe taps, I'm the really just waiting on the pitcher. He's getting a sign. He's trying to figure out, I'm just waiting. I'm just, that's my rhythm to toe tap. I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting on the pitcher. But the moment I, that second, my foot goes back in, I'm ready to hit. They could start pitching right there. I'm ready to go. So I'm waiting on the pitch. So it's not me. I literally am ready and let probably eight seconds or less. If you really want to go time it after foul, I step out. Boom. I'm thinking I'm back in. I am actually really, really quick. So I'm not the cause of the pace of game. So please <laughs> stop blaming me. And the other thing too, is I am the epitome of a speed up rule. Cause I swung at the first pitch and I got things going. Let's go. I got my job done. So it was done. So if you want to speed the game up, do exactly what I do and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Nomar, uh, for, for the fans that, that need to know, and, and I think it's fascinating because it's, it's really about raising your children, three beautiful children, um, but also with your famous wife, Mia Hamm, who was a soccer, soccer star for 17 years with U.S. women's soccer. Uh, why I mention that is that now it's about what's next for you guys, because you're in your uh, twilight of your post-career, but also raising children. What's next for you guys? What do you enjoy the most doing? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I try to get in a place where you don't see all her awards around everything. Everywhere. <laughs> oh my God, seriously. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I have a few Emmys. I'm like, listen, can I, do my Emmys kind of take away your FIFA world player? Of the year? Oh my God. She's, she's, she's uh, I, I, I joke. Uh, I'm way over my skis, Swing. You know that. Uh, she's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. she is she is the greatest person on the planet, most beautiful person on the planet. And you know what? We it's all about the kids now. It's all about, you know, uh seeing, you know, what we can instill in them and wanting our kids just to be good people. That's really it. I think, you know, speaking of expectations and pressure, they'll be like, oh, what are the kids? What are their sports? I said, you know what? It's not about that for them. We just want them to be good people. They'll find their way and we're gonna support them in any way they want. Um, and that's, that's really how we look at it. Um, uh, you know, what's next. Yeah. There's stuff that comes up, you know, me still has to do stuff in soccer and does that we're, we're own, you know, we're part owners of LAFC MLS team. Me is a uh, part owner of the new women's team that's coming to, uh, LA as well. Angel city FC, which is awesome. Um, shoot. She was on boards of professional team. She was on a committee for FIFA for a little while. She did, you know, uh, she, she's active. She does camps throughout the country. She's got amazing soccer camps that she does with former teammates. These team first soccer camps are off the charts. They're pretty, it's really, really impressive because they are, they are involved. Um, myself, you know, I'm part of a company where we build indoor facilities and we help youth leagues in the baseball. Um, my brother does an amazing job, uh, he has a travel baseball program. It's one of the tops in the countries. And my dad helps him, you know, it's him and my dad who really have built this amazing program. So we're involved. We're doing that. There's, there's, we're lucky because we got to do what we love. We got to do it at the highest stage. And, and at the same time, it's given us an amazing life. We're lucky. And what we can provide for our families, what we can do, we're grateful. Um, we never take it. We don't take it for granted. I'm glad I found somebody who, who pay, maybe thinks that way. Along, I said she does, but also does, we don't think the same because boy, she, 
the good thing is everybody thinks I have OCD. I don't, I don't bring it home. She wouldn't be here. She'd be like, all right, I'm out this door. This guy's crazy. So I don't have that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, um, you know, careers, all that, that you accomplish in your sport. The greatest thing is that I actually had her in my, I have her in my life, hands down, hands down, um, to be able to just have that, um, you know, it's amazing when you look at your life and you're going, okay, wow, well, I, I played 14 years in the big league, right? Uh, she looks at her life, you know, how many years she played on the nationals. And wow, there's so many more years after that. And to be able to share that with somebody like her and to do that and then have kids that we just, that are just awesome and, and, and fun and just looking through their lens or their teen, we had teenage girls, which Anybody who knows that's that tough. Girl is right. Oh boy. Uh, so we're learning, you know, it's even, uh, we're learning, uh, we're learning as parents. Um, and that's, that's all you can do is con- constantly learn and, and, and grow as parents and individuals. Well, you're learning and we thank you for teaching us a little yeah. about no more Garcia par today, boy, 14 seasons, as you mentioned in the big leagues, rookie of the year, six time all-star. You can catch no more. Uh, anytime you dial in those Dodgers, uh, on the five out in Southern California, catch them on the broadcast there. No more Garcia Parra. Cannot thank you enough for the time you spent with us. Well, I probably, I'm probably so long winded. I apologize taking up all your time. You're probably going, gosh, this guy had a lot to say. Man, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, well, this guy shut up now, but you know what? You know what? Swing, you bring it out of me, brother. I mean, I, are you kidding me? It's like being back in that locker room, seeing you. That, that's, as you know, the brotherhood. It's where very few of us ever got to play at the highest level. And there's, a brotherhood that and that you just love, you respect, and like I said, and I love you, man. You're, you're yeah. the best. And Nomar, thank you so much. Uh, I, I love you right back. Uh, the, for our listeners, and this is what they get from this podcast, and it's what really motivates me to have these conversations. These relationships are never ending because when I see you, it almost feels like we we see each other every single week, and we don't. You just embrace and you move on. But I absolutely love that people get to hear your story and realize the real guy underneath that uniform that you presented. But you presented it in such a professional way. I was blessed to be a teammate of yours. And I thank you for so much time, buddy, because, listen, everyone needs to realize this game is greater than any of us. But you were a huge part of it. And I thank you for that. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, if it makes you feel any better. I, was, uh, I brought you up the other day. Um, and I put you in the same name with Albert Pujols. I wow. said, because the Dodgers just got Albert Pujols and everybody's like, Oh, what does he mean? I go, he becomes, I go, he's that veteran presence that every team needs. He needs, he's the Mark Sweeney. You need a guy like this in your clubhouse. They're invaluable. Uh, they don't, they're underappreciated and they don't get talked about enough. Somebody who comes in, understands the game of these young players. You were just talking about young players that can talk to when they're on the bench to learn from and to understand because you taught me so much, even when we were young, te- when we were there and teammates, because even understanding the role that you did, I, I always, I laugh because I said guys who didn't play every, every day, marvel at the guys who can play every day. And the guys right. who play every day, marvel at the guys who can do it and don't play every day. Like, how do you do what you do? That is unbelievable. <laughs> so there's such a respect, but yeah, I brought you up because uh, yeah, you're, one of the greatest, man. So, uh, like I said, it was it was awesome. It was an honor to play with you. Well, that's an honor from uh, coming from you as well. So, thank you for taking the time, buddy. And uh, till next time, until our next hug. Thanks a <laughs> yeah. lot, man. All right, you guys got it. Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks so much, Nomar. 
Well, folks, thanks for checking out Major League Beginnings presented by Bet Online. And if you had as much fun as we did, please go ahead, hit the subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast from. You pick the platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.